Good morning, everybody. Wonderful. Always a privilege to be in this part of the world. You live in the most beautiful part of the world, or one of the most beautiful part of the world. I come from South Africa, as you can hear my accent. Cape Town's a beautiful part, and this place rivals Cape Town. It really does. So as I said before, I'm from South Africa. I was born in South Africa, lived there most of my life, and then my wife and myself came over to America in 2003 to plant a church. We became citizens probably about 10 years ago. So you've heard me say this before, so I'm now a genuine African-American. So, um, yeah. <laughs> it's a privilege. My wife comes and joins us next week on Thursday, so that'll be great. She's at home at the moment. She is babysitting grandkids, which is her delight, absolute delight. And um, it really is good to be here. Just trying to take you all in. I have the privilege of being here over this weekend and some meetings in the week and over the weekend. So what I want to do today is just lay a bit of a foundation for what I believe God wants to do. I honestly believe that God wants to encounter a number of you people. I just call them God encounters or encountered by God. It changes everything. When God encounters us, it changes everything. It changes everything in our life. It changes who we are. It begins to change our heart. Things shift dramatically when we get encountered by God. And it doesn't mean you'll have a one-off encounter. You can have a couple of encounters because that's the goodness of God and the grace of God. But the purposes of God never change. And I know there's a lot happening in the world and there's a lot going on in the world with COVID and what's happening in Ukraine with Russia, etc., etc. But we have to understand that the purposes of God do not change. The evil one would love to distract us, to take us away, to put our focus on somewhere else. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for those places and times and nations, which we did, which I think is great and it's wonderful. We should be praying for them. But we cannot get caught up and distracted. As God's people, God wants to work in us and through us. And the enemy would do nothing more than delight to distract us to get our eyes off what he's doing, who he is, and what he wants to do in our lives. Even the whole COVID situation, unfortunately. It's a, it's a rather, in my own, just be, be honest with you, in my own life, and my own heart, it's very sad to see how something can come and divide God's people. And it's like the enemy got it right. And so Paul writes in Romans 14, and we're not going to go in there, about if a brother's faith is, he calls it weak, and NIV says weak, but actually the word is immature because they're still a young Christian, that whatever we do, we're not going to do to divide our heart from our brother's heart. So Paul goes on to say that neither food nor drink nor holy days or this days, don't let that divide who you are in Christ. But seek first the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Seek his goodness. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will begin to fall into place. And he will supply all your means. And unfortunately, whether you're a vaccine person or an anti-vax, just do what God tells you to do. 
and just walk with that. I'm encouraging you to just walk with that and just be sensitive and I encourage you to be sensitive to where other people are at. And so that's just to encourage you. Don't let it divide. I'm encouraging you don't let it divide. Really don't let it divide. Um, for me to come here, I had to get vaccinated. And so Michelle and I discussed it and I said, what do we do? And I said, for me to pursue the kingdom of God and for me to travel, I have to get vaccinated. So I got vaccinated. End of story. Michelle says you need faith to get vaccinated and faith not to get vaccinated. And it's true in one sense. So whatever it is, let not the things of the world divide us, if you understand what I'm saying. I don't even, it's not even my notes. It's because we get so distracted. And when COVID first hit, I said, like everybody, oh God, what do you want me to say to your people? And I felt God say, tell my people not to lose heart. Not to lose heart. Not to lose heart. And so I want to read a scripture, if I can, and I'm going to read it actually out of uh, the Passion Translation in 2 Corinthians. There's five times in the New Testament that the Bible says, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. And the two of them in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it says this, Now because of God's mercy that we have been entrusted with the privilege of this new covenant, and we will not quit or faint with weariness. The NIV says, do not lose heart. Because of God's mercy, because of the ministry we have, the ministry of the Spirit, Paul is saying, don't lose heart, people, don't lose heart. And then in verse 16, I'll read that out of the NIV translation. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, if you have a Bible. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we have been renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on things. So we fix our eyes not on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. In other words, we fix our eyes on the eternal realities of who Jesus is, his word, and his nature. And so we, we don't want to lose heart, even though things are maybe a little tough. Bible's encouraging, the Lord is encouraging, don't lose heart, people, don't lose heart. And so even this year, I said, Lord, what do you, you know, what's on your heart? And I understand these things different to different people. And I thought God say, continue with the kingdom. And so I want to talk a little bit about that, that we are people of the kingdom. We are born into a kingdom, and the kingdom comes in us, and the kingdom is displayed through our lives. And so that's why the Bible tells us clearly, if you read in, uh, the Bible tells us this in, in Matthew chapter 6, this is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've encouraged to pray that. Let your kingdom come. Let it come here, Lord. Let your kingdom take root here. Let your kingdom get established here. And as that is happening, let your kingdom be displayed through my life. Because that's what we encourage to pray. The word tells that heaven is a place. But what makes that place heavenly is the presence of the king of that place. The Lord of that place. That's what makes it heavenly. So God's gracious purpose is not just to give us a free ticket to that place, but his purpose is to bring the atmosphere, the government, the values, the culture, the blessings of that place to your heart and my heart. 
to bring the person of that place into your heart and my heart, Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. That's the very purpose. So for us to be kingdom and for the kingdom to come on earth, God wants to cooperate with us and through us. So the release of the kingdom and experience of the kingdom are connected. They're very connected. And our participation and our partnering with God, we got to be connected and stay connected and keep our eyes on Him so the kingdom can come. The kingdom can be released. You, you understand what I'm saying? It can really come. Align God to create a kingdom culture within my heart and not align the culture of the world or even the culture of the church or even the American culture or South African culture or any culture of any nation to stop and impede the kingdom culture that God wants to put within me and within you. People need Jesus. And so God is encouraging us, let my kingdom come in you. Let my kingdom come through you. And so the kingdom is huge. Salvation, Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel of the kingdom. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. That's an incredible statement to make. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel of the kingdom is the power of God. So, let me ask you a question. The gospel of the kingdom is the power of God unto salvation. I just want to go back to the notes that I had just. So, what is salvation? We've got to understand truly what biblical salvation is. So, it is a great salvation, the Bible says. And salvation is not a plan. It's not a scripture. It's not a ritual. It's not holy days. It's not even one decision. It's not someone declaring to you some evangelist or some pastor or some teacher declaring that to you. Salvation is a person. Salvation is from a person and salvation is a person. Salvation is the person of Jesus Christ. He who has the Son has life. He is our light. He's our tower. He's our deliverer. He's our strength. God did not send salvation to us he became salvation for us as he entered in our heart. He's not just some uh, um, savior because he's in heaven. It's because he's in you and he's because he's in me. You have a little of heaven inside you. Please turn to the person next to you and say, that's you. If you're born again, you have heaven within you. The Bible says you have a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. So you have something of what's coming inside your heart. Hallelujah. Amen. You do. You really do. So this great salvation does not only include salvation from sin, but it's salvation from hell. But it also includes salvation from the world in which we live. Its values, the thoughts, the control, the rewards that the world holds out for us. We are saved from that. This great salvation not only includes salvation from the world, but includes salvation from my fleshly nature, from the personality that I struggle with sometimes, from the quirks and the idiosyncrasies that I struggle with, 
from some of my, my trays inside of my interests that gripped my heart from my habits and my attitudes that I developed over a period of time. Salvation delivers you from that. Hello? It's good news, people. It's good news. I hope it's good news to you. It's a great, great salvation. Salvation not only includes salvation from the world and from the death, from the flesh, but it includes salvation from the devil. We were his bondservants. Before we were saved, we were under his dominion, the Bible says. We didn't know it, but we were. He had dominion over us because Adam sinned and everybody born on this earth is born in sin. So you're born with this nature inside of you that has a propensity towards sin, to do wrong. You can't help itself. And so God didn't only come and forgive you for what you did. He came to release you from that which inside of you encouraged you to go that way. He set you free from that. It's a wonderful salvation, people. It's an incredible salvation. It really is. And so that way, that's why I'm saying he wants his kingdom to come in your heart and my heart so the salvation can take root deeply within us. So we're not only safe from our sin, we're not only safe from our sin nature, we're not only safe from the lust of the flesh, we're not only safe from the values of the world, we're not only safe from the dominion and the snares of the evil one. We're safe from all of that, folk. Jesus came to set people free. Whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. Done. Romans 5 tells us that Christ died for us. Romans 6 tells us that Christ died as us. Romans 8 tells us that Christ wants to live in us and through us. Put another way, Romans 6, 6 says we were crucified with Christ. Romans 6, 4 says we were buried with Christ. Ephesians 2, 5 says we were made alive with Christ. Ephesians 2, 5 says we were... Ephesians 2, 6, we were seated with him in heavenly places. That is the truth. That's what salvation is. So I say to myself, how absurd and how ridiculous to say, well, I'm going to heaven and that's good enough. Then we're not taking hold of all what Christ took hold of us. Now, sometimes we don't feel like that, but that's what salvation means. And so the kingdom comes in your heart, the kingdom comes in my heart, and there's a progressive ongoing allowing the kingdom to take root and establish in my heart and in my mind and the way I think and the values and the way I treat people and the way I see people. That's a process. That's called sanctification. That's why it says pray for the kingdom to come continually in your heart and through your heart. So the Bible puts it this way. I am saved because I'm going to heaven. I'm busy being saved and one day I'll be completely saved because I'll get a whole new body. Hallelujah. Okay. No more back troubles. (laughs) That's wonderful. There's no more back troubles. Please don't allow the evil one to distract you from that purpose. Don't allow the things of the world to come in and distract you. And I found in my own life, God had to encounter me for to me understand some of these things. 
I had to have a truth encounter or a power encounter. Sometimes I knew it in my head, but I needed to know it here. Like I know it, like I know it, like I know it. And that changes things. And so I want to talk a little bit about preparing ourselves for a God encounter. Because the Bible says when we are saved, we are rescued from the dominion of darkness. We are pulled out. It's a violent term. We weren't just, we were rescued from the dominion of darkness. Hallelujah. The Bible in Romans 14 says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. So it's not a matter of what I prefer or don't prefer and what that person prefers different to me. I love them for it. That's fine. Like I know I was with this couple. Uh, when was I with you? on Yesterday. They love sushi. I can't stand sushi. Because <laughs> it's raw. I mean, who wants to eat something raw? We want to cook it, if you know what I mean. Okay. Which is fine. But I just love them for it. But that's fine. That's, that's it. So it's not a matter of eating or drinking. It's not a matter whether I've been vaccinated or not vaccinated. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. That's what it's about. 1 Corinthians 4 says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power. The kingdom of God is the power of God. Where is the kingdom manifested? Where is the kingdom made real inside you? Yeah. Jesus said, don't go there and look for the kingdom. Don't go there and look for the kingdom because the kingdom is within you. Hallelujah. Luke 17, 20. What are the signs of the kingdom coming? How do you know the kingdom's coming in your life? Well, number one, obviously, a radical salvation. A radical salvation. This is not in any order. Genuine repentance. If you want to know there's been genuine repentance in your life, you'll want to put right. With people, with situations, because that's what God does in your heart. You want to put right. I remember, and I'll tell you a little story myself, how I got saved. But I remember after I'd been saved for two or three years, I got saved in a, in a city called Durban. And then we moved to Cape Town. And when we came back to Durban, I ran into all my old friends. And I realized God did that because I, I needed to be able to declare to these people what had happened to me by the goodness of God. But when I first got saved, I wasn't ready to do that. God needed to do something, establish something in me. So it's authentic healings. It's miracles. It's freedom from people who have been oppressed and demonized and tormented. This, the cycle of poverty is broken. When the kingdom comes into an area, the cycle of poverty gets broken. Because God is so generous. It's unusual generosity. So I might have said this before. So when I go out to a restaurant, I overtip. Because my father is generous to me. And when I go to a restaurant, this couple will know. I say, Lord, what is the waiter's name or the waitress's name? Because I want to learn. I want to grow. And we were in the restaurant yesterday, and the lady came, and I said, does your name begin with an N? She said, how did you know? I said, is it, what did I say, is it Natalie, and her name was Natasha. That's actually my daughter's name. She was shocked. She said, how did you know that? Did somebody tell you? So she went and called her other friend. Come, this guy knows your name. This guy knows you. She put me on the spot, and I got it wrong, but that's fine. <laughs> 
But that's how we learn for words of knowledge to come, but we'll touch about that later. Genuine community living and genuine forgiveness, those are signs of the kingdom that are coming in your heart and through your life and into your heart. I was, uh, what is the time? Because I want to talk about God encounters and how to prepare yourself for that. I grew up in South Africa, as you heard me say, and um, I was part of a family where my biological father committed suicide. He was an alcoholic, unfortunate, and he gassed himself in a motor car when I was three or four years old, so I never knew him. My mother remarried, the man she remarried had two children, my wife, my wife. My mother had two children, myself and my sister, and so there were four of us. Between them, they had another one, five. That was my half-brother. And uh, we never went to church. We never discussed church. We never discussed anything about God, nothing. It wasn't part of who we were. We were a very poor family. We struggled. My parents struggled to even put food on the table at times. And so that wasn't what I grew up with. All I got involved in was sport. I loved playing sports six, five, six times a week. Academically, I just just scraped through. Um, but I remember when I was six or seven years old, and there's a reason I'm telling this story, that I heard my stepfather and my mother wanted to go to a driving theater where you sit in your car and you go watch a movie. And it was at 9.30 at night. And I woke up because we had to go to bed very early because there were five kids in the family because I think my parents wanted some peace. And I woke up and I heard them discussing it. And inside me, I started to cry out. And I said, God, please, please let my stepfather walk in here. I pretend I'm sleeping and wake me up and ask me to go to the movies. It was as a little boy, six or seven years old, and we never went out. So this would be like Christmas times 10, going to a movie. But for my father to walk in there, my stepfather, it would be like it would have to snow in July. That's how it was, it was impossibility. And I said, God, please, please, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Don't pray that prayer unless you mean it. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And lo and behold, he walked in my room. And he woke me up. I pretend I was sleeping. And he said, do you want to go to the movies with us? I jumped out of bed. I was so excited. I climbed in the car, and I fell asleep. So I have no clue what we saw, because I was so excited. Fast forward 27 years. 27 years. God never forgot that cry of my heart. I was now in business, doing well financially. As a profuse gambler, I was addicted to gambling. Horse racing, four or five times a week. Spent a lot of money on it, unfortunately. There was no problem in 1984 to put $1,000, $2,000 on one horse. I was earning a lot of money at the stage as well. And my wife was going to a little church down the road and she came home and she said, I wasn't going because I was busy playing soccer. Was far more, that was far more important. And she came home and she said, the couple that are doing youth can no longer do youth. Can we do youth? So I said, sure, we can do the youth. And so every Friday night, these young people came to my house. And because now we were doing the youth, I felt obliged that I needed to possibly go attend the church from time to time, which I did. 
but just every now and then. But this youth group began to grow. We started with eight people and it grew to like 120 in three years. I had no idea what I was doing. None whatsoever. These young people would come and speak to me about God and I said, I don't know. Don't worry, God loves you. Because I didn't know anything different. I taught them how to take jackpots and trifectas and all that sort of stuff because that's what I knew. But anyway. But the goodness of God is unbelievable. The Bible says he's rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. So she came home from church one day and she said, listen, this church is going on a family retreat. Can we go? I said, you're crazy. We can't go. The FA Cup finals that weekend, the Comrade Marathon is that, a lot of sports events. She convinced me. This was in 1986. I put the TV in the trunk of the car or the boot of the car, whatever you want to call it. And when we got there, I tried to set it up, but I couldn't get it going. But anyway, but that weekend was a three or four day weekend. On the Saturday night, somebody was preaching. I still said to myself, these people are brainwashed. But as he was preaching, something told us to stir inside of me. And at the end, he said, who wants prayer? And for some reason, I got up and I went forward. I didn't know then. I know now it was God. I said to Michelle, come with me because I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm not used to this. This is out of my comfort zone. So she went forward. She held my hand and two young gentlemen came up to me to pray for me. And as the one started to pray for me, he said, what do you want prayer for? I said, I don't know. So he started to pray for me and I could feel the tears beginning to well up in the corner of my eyes. So he turned to his friend and he said, why is he crying? And his friend said, I don't know. So he said, well, you pray for him because when I pray for him, he cries. That's what happened. And when I sat down, I realized for the first time in my life there was a God and I didn't know this God. That's what I realized. So from 1986 to 1987, I had this war rage inside of me. And some of you have it right now. This war rage in me. Half of me wanted to pursue God. Half of me didn't. Half of me wanted to get to know God. The other half of me didn't. And it raged inside of me. It honestly did. So as a result of that, I would come home sometimes from losing a lot of money at the horses or having spent a night in the pub. Honestly, I would come home and I would go. I'd close my door and I'd kneel. And the only reason why I did that is because I saw them on the movies do it. And I knelt and I said, God, please change me because I cannot change. God, please change me because I cannot change. And that happened five or six times in that year. She then came back from church a year later and said she had been going often. And she said, listen, they came back on a family retreat. Do you want to go? I said, yes, I want to go. And at that family retreat, I'll never forget it. The guy that was preaching was from the vineyard ministry. He's a good friend of mine now. He stopped preaching. 11 o'clock on a Friday morning. And he said, God wants to do something. So I stood up because I wanted to see what was going to happen. And I'm looking around, very curious to see what was going to happen. And when I sat down, God got hold of me. He got hold of me. In my mind's eye, I saw Jesus die on the cross for me. And it broke me, absolutely broke me. And the tears started to come. And when you cry a lot, your nose runs. And it was running and running. And I can still see the big pools it was forming at the bottom. These long strands going down. Because <laughs> that's what happens when you cry a lot. I felt like somebody put some detergent inside me, shook me, 
and turned me upside down. And all the stuff came out of me. The weight came out of me. I just controlled, and I saw parts of my life literally go before me. And every time I saw something, I just went, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. About 45 minutes later, I got my emotions back under control, and I said to Michelle, you know what? You look different, but you look the same. I looked outside, I said, everything looks the same, but it's different. There's a clearness, there's a sharpness, like the color's back. That day I got born again. God encountered me. He changed me. Nine months later, we were in full-time youth ministry. Then I realized what it means when he allows the kingdom to come. I've shared this before, and I'm telling you again, because some people don't know who I am. We'd gone into full-time youth ministry. The day after I got saved, on the Monday, I went and bought a Bible. I'd never opened a Bible in my life. I waited at the shop for it to open, and as it opened, I said to them, I want, it must have Holy Bible written on you. That's what I want. But I didn't know what to buy. And the lady gave me a Bible, and I started to devour this Bible, devour it, the Gospels particularly. I couldn't believe what I was reading about this man called Jesus Christ. I could not believe it. I honestly couldn't. What he did was amazing to me. Instead of going to the cocktail business lunches, I used to go home because I didn't stay far away from my office and I used to follow Michelle around the house and read the gospel to her. I just, because you see, I didn't put that hunger in me, people. God put it in me. That's what I'm trying to get at. When God encounters you, things change. They change, completely change. And so we moved cities to Cape Town. We had been in ministry for three or four months, and one day I was reading the Bible, and I felt God say, this is what it means for the kingdom to come. I knew the kingdom had come. I didn't understand it. I didn't even understand what salvation was. All I did was fall in love with Jesus Christ. That's all. And as I read this, I started to understand it. And as I got this inside me, it started to cement something in me. And as I was reading the Bible, I felt God say, go tell your wife. And I knew what the Lord was speaking about. Because before I got saved, I was unfaithful. Now I had a choice to make. Am I going to let God have his way in my life, or am I not going to let God have his way in my life? I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. So I said, Lord, because I love you, you've got to prepare her, and she's got to bring it up. I made it difficult for God, what I thought was difficult. Three months go by, and we're sitting down in July. It's winter there, in front of a fire, 10.30 at night. The kids are in bed, and we're speaking in the silence. And my wife turns to me and says, oh, by the way, and I knew what was coming. She ended up praying for me, not me, for her, because God had prepared her heart. And I felt God say, you are one flesh. There can never be shadows between you two because of what I've called you to down the line. And so that's what it means for the kingdom to begin to come in my life in greater extent. I take on his values, the way he sees things, the way he thinks, the way he treats people, the way he responds. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
That's what I feel God wants to do with a number of us this weekend and next weekend, to have God encounters. And then I had another God encounter a year later when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I didn't understand it. I hadn't read it. All I'd read in the Bible was what God, Jesus did. And the hunger developed in me, such a hunger developed in me to see the real article. I remember going to the guy in the church who was leading the church. And I said, when are we going to do the stuff? You know, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. A little arrogantly, unfortunately. And so that hunger developed in me. And then God gave me another power encounter, which changed, shifted something else in me. When God encounters you, there's a revelation that comes that gets ingrained in you. There's a truth that comes with that power encounter because the experience of the encounter will move on, but the truth that he brings with it will get deposited in your heart and it'll shape you for the rest of your life. As we nurture it, as we guard it, your thought life changes in that area. Your worldview changes in that area. The way you see others and the way you see him changes in that area. Your heart for people changes. You have compassion for people. There's a deep inward change that begins to take place. He becomes the gift. He becomes the gift. We're not so enamored with the gifts that he gives. He becomes the gift. We begin transformed. Passion that is born out of that encounter with God can never be put out by anything. No trial, no circumstances, no ups and downs can quench that passion that is put in there from that power encounter. And as I said, it could be a truth encounter. It's the same thing. It's explosive inside of you. But I'm encouraging you, don't treat it lightly. Because as wonderful as an encounters are, it's a death experience that you go through as well. Because he puts to death some things inside of you. Things that you've struggled with. Things that have gripped your heart, that you didn't want them to grip your heart. Your affections are gripped by other things rather than by the Lord. And the Lord comes and snatches your heart back. Who knows what I'm talking about? Your ambitions begin to change. Pride begins to go out the window because you realize he did this. I had nothing to do with it. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. He just graciously allowed me to experience it. And then we don't negotiate the terms with him when the power encounter comes. I can't say, God, I want you in my life, but I don't want to fall down. <laughs> Doesn't mean we have to. I'm just saying we don't negotiate the terms of how that's going to happen. He does it in his love and his gentleness and his goodness and his power. But it never comes out of a vacuum. It comes out of something that you've in your heart. And I wrote down here, and I've got a lot of notes here, and I've got to find it. This is what I felt God say. So give me time to find it in all my notes. As you can see, I didn't know exactly where we were going today. I felt God say this to me. I felt like if you have in your heart have said, God, there has to be more than this. There has to be more than this. Or if you've said in your heart, God, I've struggled with this thing long enough. I want to change it. I want you to change it. Oh, God, I see you using other people, and I really want to be used by you. 
That desire came from him. It didn't originate with you, so I've got wonderful news from you. He's put that desire in you. You didn't put that desire in there. And so it creates a hunger within you. That's what begins to happen. It creates a hunger in you. So I want to give you some practical steps to prepare yourself for an encounter with the Lord. Spend some time with the Lord and reflect on His faithfulness in your life. Take some time out. Make a note of your personal encounters with God where He's spoken something to you, revealed something to you, where you've experienced His goodness or His love or His provision. Make a note of those. Begin to meditate on them. Give Him thanks and give Him praise. And it's important to keep those because next time you go through a tough time or you go through impossibilities, you bring those up and it's like you remind yourself of the goodness of God. That's what you begin to do. This helps launch you and prepare you for what's coming. If you've lost your first love, one day you really love the Lord, like today maybe you've lost your love for Him, I'm going to encourage you, go back to what you did when you first got saved. Whatever that was, reading the Bible, reaching out to people, I don't know what it was. Go back to that because that'll begin to stir something in you. Pray for His goodness to overwhelm you. Just pray for His goodness to overwhelm you. Pray Psalm 86. Lord, captivate my heart. Captivate my heart. Give me singleness of heart. That begins to prepare you for what God's going to want to do down there. Because I honestly believe God wants to have some power encounters with some of you folk here. I felt like some people have lost their hope through this season. It's been a dry season or a difficult season. And the Bible says in Romans 4 and Romans 15, 4 and 15, 13, He's the God of all hope. And the one talks about hope comes through the Word, and the other one talks about hope comes through the Holy Spirit. So it's the Word that restores our hope, or it's, or it's the Holy Spirit that restores our hope. And hope is very important because hope is the foundation of faith. Hope is in the mind, faith is in the heart. But the Bible says, faith is now being sure of what I hope for. So I've got to have hope return back to me. Because hope is a breeding ground for faith to take root in me. Faith is being sure of what I hope for. What I hope for. It's not faith, but it's what I hope for. And so faith is in the mind. And faith sets the, the, the platform or sets the table for faith to begin to take root within her. Hope is a joyful, confident expectation of something's going to happen. That's why the Bible says the hope of glory is within you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That means Christ in you is going to work through you as you have an expectation that something's about to happen. Hallelujah. God wants His kingdom to come in our lives and through our lives. Why? Because He wants to touch the city. He wants to touch your wife, your husband, your grandkids, your neighbors, your brother that may be backslidden, or your sister, or your uncle, or your aunt. 
Because for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, it's got to come through us. And you can only give what you've received. Hallelujah. Amen. So I hope you're encouraged. God is bigger than we can ever think he is. He's far bigger than that. So I'm really looking forward to the week to come and what God's going to do. I have a couple of words for some people. What's your son's name? I looked at him earlier, just before he started worship, and I saw him standing with a Bible in his hand. And I saw him standing preaching. As I looked at him, I saw him standing, and I saw him standing preaching. I thought God's going to put the word, make the word alive in your son's heart, even at an early age. Even at an early age. He's a very gentle spirited boy. I don't know him, but that's what I feel. He's a very gentle spirited boy. Then there was another young lady called Melissa. I asked somebody about her name. I can't remember who I asked. Did I ask you, Katie? Are you here, Melissa? Melissa, I have, a, I have a sense that the Lord would encourage you to say, maybe you haven't seen the fruit that you expect, but I feel the Lord saying, you're not only going to bear fruit, but you're going to bear much fruit. You're not only going to bear fruit, but you're going to bear much fruit. And I want to encourage you with that. You'll become a fruitful vine with whatever you're doing and whatever you, whatever. Amazing how the atmosphere changes. If anything I've said today, not because I've said it, because God's put his hand upon it. And it's meant something to you. Or it's grabbed your heart in some way. Or it's put a longing in you. Can you stand where you are? So it means God's grabbed your heart somehow. I do want to pray for some of you. And I don't have a mask on. And, if, and I like to come and lay hands on people. And if you're uncomfortable with that, that's fine. Just let me know. Just tell me rather than slap me if that's okay. And I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you.